really doing is building a biography of Jesus Christ. We're learning who Jesus is by listening to what he said and uh, recounting some of these very pivotal moments in his life. That by doing so, we might know him more deeply and trust him more deeply. And I think that as we come to this story, the story of Jesus and the woman of Samaria, many of us will see ourselves in this very powerful story. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. We're going to read John 4, verses 1 through 42. This is God's word. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, worried as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is, is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you, are that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that, it, that it, it, Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. Am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, uh, What do you seek or, or why are you speaking with her? 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you out to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me that everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for this remarkable story of unbelievable faith. We pray, Lord God, that like the woman at the well, we too might receive the living water which bubbles up in our hearts to everlasting life. Oh Lord, may we too be inspired to tell the good news of your great, great love for the nations. We thank you, Lord God, for what you have done for us. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear so that you, you might speak and that we might listen to what you're saying in your word. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Billy Graham was 99 years old when he died. In his life, he preached the gospel to more than 215 million people in more than 185 countries around the world. He reached hundreds of millions more via television, radio, the internet, and a syndicated newspaper column that was published for more than 66 years. Here are three letters that he received. The first one is from someone in Nigeria who sent the letter to the wrong city. The Billy Graham Association was in Minneapolis, and they sent it to Los Angeles, and yet somehow the letter found his way to Billy Graham. The second one is from someone in England. It's addressed to Mr. Billy Graham, evangelist, who lives somewhere in America, <laughs> USA. And they found him. The third one is addressed to God's man, Minnesota, USA. Now, remarkably, the post office knew that God's man was referring to Billy Graham. And perhaps even more remarkably, they were right. 
I imagine that if someone wrote a letter to God's man, Pensacola, Florida, the postal workers might not immediately think this letter must be destined for Pastor Joel Trike. I have yet to reach the status of the great Billy Graham. In his obituary, the New York Times wrote, Mr. Graham took the role of evangelist to a new level, lifting it from the sawdust floors and canvas tents of small-town America to the podiums of packed stadiums in the world's major cities. He wrote some 30 books and was among the first to use new communication technologies for religious purposes. During his global crusade from Puerto Rico in 1995, his sermons were translated simultaneously into 48 languages and transmitted to 185 countries via satellite. With a warm, courtly manner that was readily apparent to both stadium crowds and to those who met him face-to-face, Mr. Graham could be a riveting presence. At six foot two, with handsomely rugged profile fit for Hollywood westerns, he would hold his Bible aloft and declare that Scripture offered the answer to every human longing. Repent of your sins, he told listeners. Accept Jesus as your Savior. And be born again. One of the listeners who did repent of her sins and believe the gospel of God's grace, accepting Jesus as her Savior, and was born again was Kate's grandmother, Miss Dorothy Brown. She came forward at a Billy Graham crusade sometime in the late 50s, became a Christian, and remained a faithful Christian for the rest of her life. This week we're going to talk about evangelism. We're going to talk about how to talk to other people about Jesus Christ. How do we challenge and encourage people to repent, to believe the gospel, and to be born again? Is there a script that we need to memorize? Do we have to be experts in Christian theology? Well, the woman at the well wasn't an expert in Christian theology. It appears she didn't have a script or talking points or really much of anything at all. What she did have was a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. She went to draw water from a well on a seemingly ordinary day. She saw Jesus there. She heard the gospel. She repented of her sins. She believed, and her life was changed forever. Then, seemingly 10 minutes later, she successfully evangelized her whole town. How did she do it? How do we do it? How did Jesus do it? This morning we're going to learn evangelism at the foot of the Master himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to learn how to evangelize the way that Jesus evangelized. We're going to learn how to say true, faithful, biblical things in in true, faithful, biblical ways so that everyone everywhere can know Jesus. So that everyone everywhere can receive grace that is greater than their sins. So that everyone everywhere can worship our King Jesus in spirit and in truth. 
If you're a Christian and you have never told anyone about Jesus, maybe because you're, you're scared or you're timid or you're afraid, maybe you're worried about saying the wrong thing, maybe you're worried because you feel like you would be imposing or, or bothering other people to talk to them about Jesus, my prayer is that this passage will give you great confidence. Here's the reality. I am not Billy Graham. And you are not Billy Graham. There's only one Billy Graham, and he's in heaven with Jesus right now. But all of us can learn to talk to other people about Jesus in simple, straightforward ways. And those simple, straightforward ways can and do bring people to faith in Jesus. I've seen it with my own eyes. I have experienced it. It happens. Now, if you are not a Christian and you're here this morning because you are now realizing that someone is trying to evangelize you and you start to wonder if we're trying to get you to trade uh, your everlasting soul for a red Pinewoods coffee mug, (laughs) then let me ask you to put those concerns aside for the next 30 to 60 minutes. Let me invite you into this ancient story. Let me ask you to imagine yourself overhearing this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. Listen to her questions. Listen to Jesus' answers. See the way that he treats her in this story. And maybe, just maybe, when it's all said and done, You'll find yourself saying what these Samaritan villagers said at the end of the story. Verse 42, they said to the woman, It is no longer but because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. When the Samaritan woman met Jesus, she found what she had been looking for her whole life. So did I. Maybe you will too. How did Jesus evangelize the Samaritan woman? And how should we evangelize other people? What is the evangel? What is the good news of the kingdom of God? Why is this message, this message of God's grace, this message of God's love for sinful, broken people, for religious people who think that we have it all together when In reality, we don't. Why is this message, his message, the most important message in the world? This is a long story, and there's definitely a lot in here that we won't cover, but I want to focus on three things that we see in the the Samaritan woman's encounter with Jesus. Three ways that Jesus approached this Samaritan woman, uh, and three ways that we can approach our friends and neighbors and even strangers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're taking notes this morning. Here's our outline. Three big ideas here. First, we'll see that Jesus approached the Samaritan woman intentionally. Intentionally. Evangelism doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional. Second, we'll see that Jesus approached the Samaritan woman courageously. Even though they were two very different people, we discover that they have more in common then meets the eye. Third, we'll see that Jesus approached the Samaritan woman personally. He spoke to her in a very personal way, addressing her own life circumstances 
using the gospel to show her the hope of salvation. How do we share the gospel without fear? How did Jesus share the gospel without fear? Let's take a closer look. First big idea is this. Jesus approached the Samaritan woman intentionally. Our st- verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Our story begins with Jesus traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. After preaching and teaching in Jerusalem during Passover week, Jesus was becoming more and more popular with the crowds. People were coming to him to hear the good news of the kingdom of God. We're told that Jesus' disciples were baptizing people into the kingdom of God. People were being saved. Lives were being transformed. And the Pharisees were not happy about it at all. The Pharisees represented a moralistic, legalistic branch of Judaism, a religious tradition that taught the not-so-good news that salvation is only available to those who strictly adhere to every jot and tittle, every line, every word of the Old Testament law. Given that salvation by God's grace and salvation through our own good works, our own moral performance, are fundamentally incompatible, the stage was set for a final confrontation. A confrontation in which the Pharisees would hand Jesus over to the Roman authorities for him to be crucified. Now, that's what happens at the end of the story. But now, at this part of the story, Jesus' time had not yet come. Jesus still has work to do. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Back to the story. Jesus, wanting to delay his inevitable confrontation with the Pharisees, traveled from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. But there was a problem. A big problem named Samaria. In order to travel from Judea to Galilee, Jesus and his disciples would have to pass through the land of Samaria, which is something that most Jewish people would absolutely never do. Why? Well, it's a long story, a story of fear and loathing and half-sibling rivalry. The Jews and the Samaritans, when you think about their differences, you can really think about sort of the Hatfields and the McCoys, or the Crips and the Bloods, or the Democrats and the Republicans, or uh, the Alabama fans and the Auburn fans. It was a fierce rivalry. They hated one, each, one another. That's how much the Jews and Samaritans hated them, them, each other groups, each other's group. It all started back in 722 BC, 700 years before this scene takes place with Jesus and the woman and the well. When the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded and conquered by the Assyrian Empire. 
when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes, many Jewish people intermarried with the Assyrians. Once married, they began to blend Assyrian religion with the Jewish religion. They abandoned the temple. They abandoned the capital city of Jerusalem. They abandoned their Jewish identity. And so, to the observant Jews of Jesus' day, the Samaritans were both traitors and apostates. Now, with that background, read verse 4 again. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, what's interesting here is that on one level, Jesus did not have to pass through Samaria. Technically, he could have walked around Samaria, which is what everyone else did. But on a deeper level, he had to pass through Samaria because he had to fulfill his destiny. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He had to pass through Samaria because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in him, is for all peoples and all nations. He proved that not only by intentionally approaching Samaria, this lost nation, but by intentionally approaching a lost woman. Verse 7, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. To underscore just how shocking this is, the Samaritan woman said, verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John, the Apostle John, adds parenthetically, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Later, the disciples saw Jesus talking to her, verse 27, They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Here's the point. Jesus took the initiative. Jesus made the first move. Jesus didn't wait for Samaria to come to him. Jesus went to Samaria. He didn't wait for the Samaritan woman to approach him at the well. He approached her. He initiated a conversation with her. That's the first principle of evangelism. We need to take the initiative. We need to make the first move. We need to be intentional, uh, intentional about going to where lost people are. We can't avoid certain nations, nor can we avoid certain neighborhoods. We can't say, oh, those people are too lost. Those people are too far gone. Those people are so much different than we are. They think differently, and they speak differently, and they vote differently. Let's leave that to someone else to take care of. No, we take the initiative, we go. May it never be said that evangelical Christians have nothing to do with Samaritans. May it never be. We can't expect people to approach us. Field of Dreams is a great movie, but it is a terrible strategy for evangelism. Just because we build it doesn't mean that they will come. 
We can have the greatest church buildings in the world. We can have great programs and great music and great sermons and great youth groups and great life groups and all these service projects and things that we do. But, we, but it means nothing unless we go. It means nothing unless we invite. It means nothing unless we build bridges with people who are very different than we are, who think differently. We have to initiate conversations. We have to love and serve. That takes intentionality. Those things only happen when they happen on purpose. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples about evangelism? He said that evangelism is a lot like fishing. He said, hey, all you guys, a lot of you guys, you guys were fishermen before, but now you're fishers of men. Now, I'm not an expert fisherman by any stretch of the imagination, but one thing I learned very early on is that the first step of fishing is you have to go to where the fish are. If I sit on my couch and cast a line into my dog's water bowl, I'm not going to catch any fish because there are no fish in there. If my wife came into the bathroom and saw me standing over the bathtub with a fishing pole in there, she would say, what are you doing? That makes no sense. You're never going to catch any fish in the bathtub. Do you see? We have to go to where the lost people are. We have to put the worm on the hook. We cannot simply pray that the fish will start jumping into the boat to where we are. We have to make the first move. Jesus approached Samaria and the Samaritan woman intentionally. He, not manipulatively, intentionally. If you are a Christian, it is because someone approached you intentionally. So don't walk around Samaria. Walk through Samaria. You'll be surprised at what happens. Second big idea is this. Jesus not only approached the Samaritan woman intentionally, which he did, he approached the Samaritan woman courageously. Now, in a sense, it always takes some degree of courage to initiate an evangelistic conversation with someone else especially if you're a little bit more shy or a little bit more introverted, it can feel like a lot to step out in faith and talk to someone about Jesus. I understand. But in this story, Jesus takes evangelistic courage to a whole nother level. Think about all the lines that Jesus had to cross in order to have an evangelistic conversation with this woman. He had to cross a racial line. He had to cross a gender line, he had to cross a religious line, and he had to cross a cultural line. That's why everyone in this story, except for Jesus, is absolutely shocked that this conversation is taking place. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Men have no dealings with women. Righteous people have no dealings with unrighteous people. It's unheard of. And yet Jesus crossed those lines. Why? Because in spite of all of our differences, we all have three things in common. We are all image bearers of God. 
We are logical because God is logical. We are passionate because God is passionate. We are beautiful and smart and funny and courageous and creative because God is all of those things, and we are made in his image. Every single person that you encounter Yesterday, today, and tomorrow is an image bearer of God, and so are you. And so you have that in common with all people. The second thing that we have in common is that we are all sinners who need God's grace. Now, we all do sin in different ways, and I think our unique cultures shape the patterns of sin that we are engaged in. We all have different idols and and different temptations and different snares and patterns of sin, but we are all sinners who need God's grace, every single one of us. And here's the good news. The third thing is that God gives grace to everyone who believes, which is why in the church, diversity is our strength. Here in the church, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Here there is neither male nor female. Here there is neither slave nor free. Here there is neither Alabama fan or Auburn fan. Here there is neither educated or uneducated. Here there is neither rich or poor. Here there is neither sick nor well. The differences that divide us in the world unite us in the church, creating a a beautiful mosaic of God's grace. Every single person that you speak to is an image bearer of God. Every single person that you speak speak to is a sinner just like you. And every single person that you speak to needs the grace of God, which he gives to everyone who believes. We all have that in common. So let me encourage you to cross those lines. Cross them boldly. Cross them courageously. Remember that Jesus crossed those lines to reach the Samaritan woman. And he also crossed those lines in order to reach you. The third big idea is this. Jesus approached the Samaritan woman personally. Now, in emphasizing all those things that we have in common, here's the flip side of the coin. The danger of saying, hey, we're basically all the same, is that our conversations can and sometimes do fail to take into consideration the uniqueness of the person to whom we are speaking. In other words, when it comes to evangelism, there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach. Evangelism is a personal encounter about Jesus with a unique individual. In John 3, when when Jesus spoke to a very religious Jewish man, a man named Nicodemus, he spoke to him about being born again. He said, you should know this, Nicodemus. You should know your Bible. You're a teacher of Israel. You should know that all of the works and all of the holiness will never be enough for us to approach the righteous God. You should know about the sacrifices. You should know about the feasts and the festivals and all of these things that are pointed to me. You should need to know, you should know that you need me to die on the cross for you. But he didn't. 
Now, here in John 4, when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he didn't say, you must be born again. He didn't say, why don't you know this? He said, you need the living water. He said, you, have, you come here every day to get water, but you have to keep coming back every single day. This water, this water from this well will never quench your thirst. It's a temporary solution to a permanent problem. What you need is living water. If you drink the living water, you'll never thirst again. He looks at her and knowing her says, you've had five husbands And the man that you're living with now is not your husband. How's that working for you? Are are you tired of living your life like a country song? One guy to the next guy, one tragedy to the next tragedy? Are you ready to change? Are you ready to do something different? Are you ready to stop trusting yourself? Are you ready to start trusting in me? Two very different people, two very different sets of idols, two very different backgrounds, two very different conversations. They were both separated from God, but they were separated from Him in different ways. The danger of memorizing a canned evangelism speech, which I have done, and then determining that you are going to give that speech come heck or high water, which again, I have done is that you can miss the way the gospel addresses people's unique questions and concerns and longings. You can miss the person who's standing directly in front of you, which is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. If one person says, well, I can't believe the Bible because of you know, these scientific discoveries and fossil records, and then another person says, How could a good God allow my mom to be sick? And we have the same conversation with those two people, then we're not sharing the gospel personally. We're not taking that person into account. And the gospel, my friends, is very personal. It's about Jesus laying down his life for unique individuals, people as different as Nicodemus in John 3 and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. The gospel stays the same. It is, it is timeless. It is true. Jesus stays the same. But people are different, and situations are different, and questions are different. People's idols are different. So share the gospel personally. Approach unique individuals in unique ways. Now, is that hard to do? Yes, sometimes it is. I'm a pastor, and evangelism is often very hard for me. Uh, Often, it's every single, single time I have a sense, maybe I need to talk to somebody about Jesus. I pray a simple prayer. I say, Lord, please open the door and then give me the courage to walk through. When I pray that prayer, he answers almost every single time. I think that if you prayed a prayer similar to that, God would answer that prayer for you. So if you're like me, if you're not the most naturally dynamic, gifted, Billy Graham-style evangelist, here's an encouragement to you. When you share the gospel intentionally, when you share the gospel courageously, when you share the gospel personally, 
When people do drink the living water, people do come to faith in Jesus Christ, people are born again from above. In this story, a Samaritan woman met Jesus, and it was amazing because she was the least likely convert that you could ever imagine, and yet she heard the gospel and believed. And not only that, she was so excited about Jesus She was so amazed by God's grace that she went out and she told everyone that she knew. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the savior, savior of religious people like Nicodemus. He is the savior of irreligious people like the woman at the well. He is the savior of people like you and me. And all we have to do to receive his grace is to repent and believe in him. All we have to do is take the water that we have been drinking, throw it on the ground, and receive the living water of God's grace. Isn't that amazing? Go tell somebody. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have lavished your grace upon us. We thank you for bringing the good news of salvation to us. We pray, Lord, that we would be bearers of that message as we have everyday, ordinary conversations with people about the most extraordinary thing in the world, that sinners have salvation through you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that you are Lord Jesus, and this very moment, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I pray, Lord God, that we would see the fields are white for harvest, and that we would do the work of bringing people into your kingdom joyfully and diligently until the day that you return to judge the world and make all things new. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.